Okay, if I can encourage you to take your seats again if you've not already done so. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Adrian, and I'll be guiding us through uh, the next part of our meeting uh, where we're continuing in our series uh, through the book of Ephesians that we've entitled Crafted, where we're exploring just how every single one of us has been uh, uniquely made by God for purpose, and that's been lovingly made. Uh, And so we're exploring through the book of Ephesians uh, how we discover more and more of what that looks like for every single one of us. And uh, I think just from where we've left off uh, this morning in respect to uh, this massive invitation to live in and to receive and live out of uh, this incredible love that God has for us. So I'm hoping that we'll kind of not lose sight of that, but I'm hoping it will embed its way all through everything I'm going to share this morning. But I want to start actually with a question. On a question is this, am I mature? Now, this is a rhetorical question, so I don't want any shouting out at this point in time. The the question is, am I, Adrian Hurst, mature? You see, I could have asked it. I said, are you mature? But I thought, no, no, let's let's make it more personal. I don't want to kind of leave it there. I, I put it to myself, am I mature? Now, my guess is already, as I could see the shaking of heads and um, the, the poise to quickly shout out some wise snaps at me, that there were some obvious answers that came to mind in terms of that question of, am I mature? And the reality is, though, I would say that I am. That the answer to the question, am I mature, is yes. Because you actually have to look at me. I could have shown you a photo of when I was born, and I was a lot smaller than what I am now. I've matured. I am fully grown. I'm not going to grow any bigger than this. I no longer have to each year, like I do with each of my children, have to think through how am we going to afford all of these clothes they've outgrown because of their growing bigger, that I've kind of reached my potential in terms of height. I'm still kind of working out in terms of width. But um, within it, I've discovered, though, this is it. So it it kind of means that I can buy clothes. I know they're going to fit me roughly in about a year's time, two years' time, five years' time. I've still got my favourite shirts that I rock out every so often that are many, many years old and continuously in fashion because I'm always leading the way. And (laughs) in it, so there's that sense of I am mature in terms of I'm fully grown. I'm also mature because if I was to show you a picture of who I am as a baby, I have developed. I've matured in respect of my emotional makeup my mental makeup, my understanding, my wisdom, and even my behavior. You only have to be around for a while for me to share some of the stories of the antics I've been at, uh, been involved in in my kind of early years. So you'd only to, to be around when I talked about when I was 14 and used to play my game at school called Push. And I no longer do that. I no longer gather on a Sunday morning and think, who can I push Gus into today? <laughs> I've matured a bit in respect to my behaviour. And so the truth is, am I mature? The answer is yes. However, the answer is also no. Because actually, if I was to say, yes, I am mature, I've reached it, actually that wouldn't be quite true either because actually there's still more maturing that I can do. There's still more maturing I can do in terms of my mental capacity. There's still more maturing I can do in respect to the wisdom I can gain. There's still more maturing that I can gain in respect to the way I behave. And the thing with maturity is there is a danger. There's a twofold danger. There's a danger that we don't ever mature, and so that we remain immature. There's also the danger that actually we think that we are mature, and we're as mature as we're ever going to be. And what we're going to look at today is how Paul wants us to get hold of this fact that together, corporately, we are called to maturity. 
But it's a maturity that doesn't mean we say, oh yeah, we've made it, but rather it's an invitation to a journey of continuing to mature. And what we can discover is Paul isn't necessarily speaking to us as individuals in respect to our maturity, but actually speaking to us as a whole body, as a church. And saying actually collectively together, we need to be those that are maturing. Now, in it, what we're going to discover is there is a connection with how we mature together to how we mature as individuals. But actually, Paul's going to be speaking to us as a whole. But out of it, it will challenge each of us as individuals. And in respect to maturity, therefore, I've kind of entitled this morning's talk, We Are Crafted for Maturity. And what I hope we're going to gain through this morning is a kind of marathon moment where we realize that we're not in quick sprints. We're actually in a marathon, a a long race. We're in for the long haul. And this is a moment of Paul coming alongside us to bring some encouragement as we continue to run in order that we understand how we're to run, in order that we understand that we're in this process of maturing, a process of maturing that causes us to continuously keep the main thing, the main thing, which is Jesus. See, we've been in a section in chapter four where Paul has been continually outlining the wonder of who we are together, of how we're united, of how we're diverse, diverse in how Jesus' grace gives us things in order that we'd be partnering with him in filling his rule and reign in the whole of the universe. But Paul doesn't want us to get so consumed by who we are together or the purpose of what we're living with, of this rule and reign of Jesus to be worked out in everything, that we lose sight of the main thing, which is who Jesus is and who we are in him. As we look at this, we're going to discover how maturity has everything to do with that. So I wonder if we can turn to our Bible. It's going to appear on the screens. Uh, To Ephesians 4, we're going to read verses 13 to 16, and then we're going to explore this. So Paul starts off, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. See, Paul wants us to get hold of the fact that actually the goal of who we are together is a goal of maturity. And in verse 13, he kind of reveals what that fullness of maturity looks like. It is actually, it's it's about attaining to the full measure of the fullness of Christ. That's what ultimate maturity looks like. It means that we get to a point of understanding everything of who Jesus is and revealing everything of who Jesus is. Now, the reality here is, as we know from the backdrop of everything we looked at in respect to Ephesians, is that that will ultimately only ever happen when we finally meet Jesus in the flesh. When finally we're with him, we suddenly will be the fullness of him in revealing who he is and knowing everything of who he is. And then we'll still get to the point of realizing that we've still got the whole of eternity to explore the wonder of who he is and how he fills everything. Therefore, what Paul's setting out here is a goal that we will not realize in this lifetime. Therefore, he's calling us to a path of maturity that is about 
a sense of, yes, we are fully in Jesus, yet we are being fully made into him, and we will be fully in him. The path of maturity is one where we understand that we are mature, we're being made mature, and we will be mature. And Paul wants us to understand there's this journey that we are now, each and every one of us, part of collectively together, in order that we understand that we've not made it, in order that we understand that we're not just to think, well, it is what it is. It's rather we're being pushed into understanding more and more of the wonder of who Jesus is. And so Paul kind of gets this and says, actually, I want to invite you on this journey of maturity, this journey of maturing. And how he does that is he spells out what maturity looks like. You see, if I was to talk about how I got from out of my mother's womb to this point now, into the maturing person that stands before you, it would have a lot to do with things that have happened along the way. It would happen to do with some of the natural development that's gone on in my body. That means that I have grown. It would go on in respect to the development that's gone through my education, both through school and my parents and other influences. It would go on through my understanding of what it means to live interdependently, of understanding that actually how I live has an impact on how others live, and how they live has an impact on me, and so it kind of develops who I become as an individual. And in the same way, Paul wants us to understand, just as there's this natural development and different things that influence who we are as individuals as we mature in the world around us, the same is true with the church. There's a way that Jesus is designing to mature us that we need to get hold of. And Paul kind of writes about it and makes it pretty simple, to be honest. But it's simple, but not simplistic. And we're going to discover that along the way. First of all, kind of outline some marks of what immaturity looks like. And all that we understand, we're not to live like that. He then says, well, then this is what maturity looks like. And we'll get on to see what that looks like in a moment. But I want to start off with immaturity. Paul writes this, he says, then we will know, verse 14, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. See, Paul kind of uses the natural to reveal something about the spiritual and says, actually, we're not to be immature like infants. I don't know if you've ever asked a child, age six or under, or maybe seven and under, what they want to be when they grow up. What you discover is it changes dependent on the different influences. So I remember I wanted to be a car mechanic. I also wanted to be a soldier. I also wanted to be a monkey. I also wanted to be um, a superhero who could fly and be invisible. I also wanted to be someone who had power over people. I also wanted to be someone who was an incredible sportsman. I wanted to be a professional footballer, a professional basketball player, a professional swimmer. I wanted to be a professional cyclist. I wanted to be a professional hockey player. None of those happened. Aged eight to nine, I realized it would never be, so I went on to another journey. Anyway, but you ask a child, age seven and under, and depending on the influence of that point, they will then say, well, this is what I want to be. I know with my own kids, it's varied from unicorn to Spider-Man. And it just is that. And what happens is, and what Paul's trying to get here is, with an infant, they're so readily influenced by everything that's going on around them. And by that most recent influence. 
And if you like, it then projects him from one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum. And from here and there, and you're kind of left wondering, where are they going to merge next? Oh, they're going to be a doctor. Oh, brilliant, we've got that. Oh, no, no, they're not going to be a doctor. They are definitely going to be a unicorn. It's, it's there, and it kind of bounces from side to side. And Paul says that's what we need to be careful of as a bunch of people together, as Jesus' body, his church. And he likens immaturity to an infant, but then says it's like an infant, but it's also like a small boat. A small boat that's on the sea. That's on the sea and it's just been impacted by waves and the wind and it's been thrown around and kind of pushed from one end to the other like that child is saying, no, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that. And Paul says, this is what you to watch out for. And he says, this being thrown around is to do with teaching. It's to do with a teaching that actually causes you to kind of continuously being changing tack and direction. And he says, you need to understand that this teaching is of people. It's teaching that you'll hear people say, but there's a sense of, there's something bigger behind that teaching. And he says, actually, it's a craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Now, in actual fact, the, the kind of makeup of that sentence can make it something, oh, this is about people trying to deceive other people was actually the deceit that's being mentioned there is pointing to a greater deceiver. And actually what it's pointing to there is saying there is one who's always seeking to counterfeit everything about who Jesus, who the Father, Son, and Spirit are together. And that's the devil, who's always seeking to counterfeit it. He's always scheming in order to cause people to get off track. And Paul says, you've got to watch out for immaturity. Immaturity means that you're going to be tossed from, from wave to wave, blown from here to there. So you've got to be careful about what you listen to. Now, in a moment, we're going to get to look at, well, how do we ensure that we are careful? But I'd say what we need to take care of then is that deceitful teaching that's seeking to take us off on weird tangents. And I'd say that that weird teaching comes through two different ways. Is anything that adds to Jesus. So whenever you hear teaching that is Jesus and, that's something that's counterfeit because Jesus is enough. Anything that says, actually, no, it's Jesus and, at that point we think, no, no, this is, this is a moment of being tossed from wave to wave. This is a moment of wind blowing me out of direction. I'd also say anything that is actually making more of who we are as people and what we need to do, and less of who God is and what he needs to do, is a quick marker of a wave that's seeking to blow you, bash you off course, a wind that's seeking to blow you off course. And so often we can think, well, how's this big thing going to work out? How do we discern what's going on here? I say, it's, it's pretty simple. Jesus and, or more about people and what they need to do, and less about who God is and what he needs to do. And generally, if you, if you listen to that, it will cause you and start to take root of it and start to take it in you. If we start to take it in us, it will blow us off course. Therefore, collect, collectively together, we need to ensure that we're not being immature. We need to collectively be together saying, well, actually, whenever we are teaching one another, whatever is going on needs to be more about who Jesus is, never adding to him. More about the wonder of who God is and what he's done and therefore that outworking in us. That's what we're being called to. I'd also say, 
that we live in a very, very unique moment in time. And I don't make that statement to kind of big us up. I just mean that there is such incredible developments that are going on in and around us that are changing the very fabrics of everything around us. The technological advances in the last 20 years are phenomenal, which has meant that we have access to information that has never been seen before, to the masses. I can go online and I can listen to talks from anyone from around the world. I can go online and read material that's been written by anyone around the world. I could literally spend the rest of my life listening to today's kind of media blog, kind of blog outlets of sermons from around the world. That, that's it. I could just say, right, today I'm just going to give myself to now for the rest of my life listening to every sermon that's been preached, and I'd never get to the end of it. Because online it's just filled with it. And therefore, we have such access to stuff that we can listen to, stuff that we can read, and stuff that we can watch. And therefore, more than ever, we need to ensure that we're listening with the right ears, that we're looking with the right eyes. And in this, my goal isn't then to police it. Our goal as a team, as a leadership team, isn't to police what we listen to or what we watch. Our goal as a church isn't that we go around saying, right, these are the websites to look at, these are the websites not to look at. These are the people you can listen to, these are the people you mustn't listen to. No, no, our goal is to say to each other, no, no, we, we don't want to be on a path of immaturity. We want to be those who are maturing, therefore we want to be those who can discern for ourselves. Through understanding, actually, is, is this something I'm listening to that is adding to who Jesus is? Is this something I'm listening to that is making more of me? And what I do, the more of who God is and what he does. Because I tell you, if we can start to equip ourselves with that, then we can listen to many things as we're going to go on to see and see the good and leave the bad. I'd also say as a note on this one, though Paul is talking about teaching, I'd also say that we need to watch out in respect to calling. That we need to make sure that we're not those that are being blown off course by what we're fundamentally called to be and do. And so I think part of our maturing as a church is we've got kind of used to what we are and what we're not. What we're about and what we're not about. The challenge comes then when you discover something new and you think, man, that's really attractive. It seems to be really good. Okay, let's change direction and let's just all go out for that. And actually that's a mark of immaturity where you suddenly think, oh no, that just seems a bit more colorful and a bit more beautiful. Let's therefore go in that direction. I think we need to be careful of that. Particularly, again, in the day and age we live in, when there's so many influences out there, so many stories that are amazing to be told. We need to make sure that we're not then just being blown from one amazing new thing to the next amazing new thing. But rather that we say, actually, this is amazing that's happening there. God, thank you for what you're doing there. God, thank you for what you're doing in us here. So that's the first thing in terms of immaturity, but that isn't ultimately what Paul wants us to kind of live with. It isn't just always a negative of what you do is therefore what you don't do. Paul always says, actually, no, there's this way of not behaving in order we understand how we should behave. So having gone from immaturity, he then says, well, then act maturely. And so he says, what does maturity look like? I'm going to say it under two words. I say maturity is about anchoring and it's about rooting. It's about our anchor and about our root. And Paul is fundamentally after this. 
wants us to understand how we avoid that kind of being rocked from wave to wave, blown by wind from one direction to another, is that we understand that we are anchored. Also, we're rooted. So let's firstly look at anchored. Verse 15, Paul says this, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Paul kind of, at this moment, is changing kind of two images. One Im- the other image we're going to pick up in a moment, but he changes his image from being on the sea, potentially being blown around from one course to another, to this other image, which we're going to go on to, which is being a body. But first of all, in terms of that image of the sea, he wants us to understand how we can navigate and ensure that we're not tossed from one wave to another, not blown from one direction to another, is understanding that we're those that now, together, have been anchored. And he says, how this moment of anchor has happened is that we're those that now speak the truth in love. Now, in that phrase, speaking the truth in love, actually, it'd be more right to say truthing in love. The actual word speaking isn't really there. It's actually saying that actually who we are are those that are anchored in truth through love. And that truth is something that then abides in everything of we are, everything we say, everything we do, everything we are. Therefore, the question is, what's the truth he's speaking of? Well, the truth is everything he's been pointing to, everything that Richard looked at so superbly a couple of weeks ago. Truth is, uh, Ephesians 4.4, 4, that there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. That we have this truth that we collectively know together. This truth of one God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. This truth of one Lord where we understand that the only way to be right with God is through Jesus. And that this one Lord is one Lord who is the Lord of our lives. That is his rule and reign that we're now living in and working through. So we have this one God, one Lord. We also have this one relationship. That every single one of us who found that, that faith and trust in Jesus and his life, death and resurrection is now forever loved equally by the Father. Has the Spirit living within us. It's now we're within Jesus who is the body that we're part of. And Jesus is in us. That we're therefore collectively together in this truth that is one God, one Lord, one relationship. And that's our anchoring point. It doesn't get more complex than that. It doesn't need to get any simpler than that. And it's that anchoring point that we're called to continue to mature in. It isn't that suddenly we say, all right, that's it, sorted. No, it's that we get invited into this relationship that means that we get to expand our understanding collectively together of this anchor that we have of one God, one Lord, one relationship that allows us to keep plumbing its depths in order that anchor gets stronger and stronger. That's why Jesus said we're to build our house, who we are, on a rock, not on sand. Jesus made it so simple. He said, don't, don't base yourself on something that has no substance. Because when waves come and wind blows, you just get blown away. Now base yourself on me, on who I am. And you'll weather any storm. And we as a company of people said, this is it. This is what we're basing ourselves on, anchoring ourselves on. However, that doesn't mean we then turn ourselves into battleships. And this is my concern with the church of Jesus. That we get hold of this truth of, oh yes, one God, one Lord, one relationship. And then we get to think, oh, now we're the battleships of the sea. 
We get to now look out for the little boats that go in the wrong direction and blow them out of the water. We get to look at the ones that seem to be blowing the wind and waves into different directions and blow them out of the water. Because when we get that, we've forgotten what Paul wrote. It's that we're to have truth in love. That actually we have this understanding of this anchoring point in love. Which fundamentally changes how we treat others. It means that we have this softening of the truth that we proclaim to others. And a strength to the love that we reveal. It means that we aren't out to blow others out of the water, but out to reveal out of love what we see. And seeking to allow others to understand what we know. But it isn't just that we're to be those that are anchored. It's also that we're to be those that are rooted. As Paul says this in verse 16, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. And each part does it, as each part does its work. You see, it isn't enough for Paul to write, right? We've got this truth of who the one is that we're anchored in. And we're then to live it out in love. He then kind of emphasizes it even more and says, no, you need to understand that everything you are is out of love. And he does this kind of way of panning it and saying, actually, we're those that are continuously rooted growing from a place of love that is the head of the body, Jesus. And he's the one who's continuously feeding us with love in order that we be those individually that then cause us as a body to grow through love. As we're seeking to reveal this love that we've known to one another in order that we cause this love that we've received from Jesus to be seen in every relationship that we come into contact with, in this purpose that we're living with, to reveal the rule and reign of Jesus in everything, everywhere. And therefore, we have to understand what this love is. See, we celebrated it this morning. This love that we're founded on, but it's a love of substance, a love that Paul continuously kept talking about in different letters that he wrote. And the unique part that we have is that we didn't just get the letter to the Ephesian church. We have this amazing moment of having the collection of letters in order that we can stack them on top of each other and see when Paul says this, he's also talking about this. So 1 Corinthians 13 says this, We haven't got time this morning to read all of it, but if we were to read 1 to 7, basically the first part is Paul saying, actually, we could go on the most exciting exploits in revealing who Jesus is. We could ensure the poor are well cared for. We could have faith that moves mountains. We could speak mysteries that people come around and say, that is phenomenal. And yet he says, if it isn't motivated, if it isn't out of that experience and understanding and revelation and then revealing of love, it's just a noise. It's an utter noise. And he says, no, we're to be those who are continuously receiving this amazing love. And then out of what we've received, we then get to reveal this amazing love. And then he goes on and says, well, what is this love like? It's love is patient, kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. Not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. See, this isn't like Paul writing down, all right, what's my definition of love? I know it would be this. This wasn't a Shakespeare moment. This is Paul writing down what he understood of who Jesus is as love. So you could replace the word love and put God 
Jesus, Spirit, Father. And it will be true about everything of who he is and the love that he reveals to us. See, what Paul's writing says, actually, those of us who are being rooted in this love of how we grow out from it, we need to understand what this love is. It's a love of substance, which is all these things. See, if we go to the next slide, what we discover is this love is something that Jesus is to us, but also we're to be then out of what we've received to every one of us together. So we find that this love is patient, not impatient. I always find when I do this, when I look at what it is and play it with the opposite, it kind of allows me to become an audit and say, how am I doing then, Jesus, in maturing? How am I doing in playing my part in maturing of who we are together? Of those who are rooted in your love, revealing your love. Am I one? Are we ones who show self-restraint, who are kind, not hurtful, who protect, not expose, who trust, who aren't cynical, who hope, not despair, who persevere, don't quit, who keep no record of wrongs, we don't hold on and seek to remind others. What Paul then, all he does, he says, this is what it's like, this is what it isn't. But again, the opposite, love is not, it's not envious, but celebrates another's success. It's not boastful and proud, but it's humble. It's not rude, but polite. It's not self-seeking, but it's unselfish. It's not easily angered. It doesn't delight in evil, but enjoys what is good. See, the invitation is to be those that live maturing. Maturing, yes, in the truth that we understand that we live with, that anchor point, but also maturing in this root that we have, a root of love that is in who Jesus is and then how we live out of it. You see, the truth is, are we living daily, feeding ourselves on this love that Jesus reveals to us in order that we then live out of that place to love like this? Because this is what we're called to. Not to think, oh yeah, we've got it. No, it's the point of saying, no, this is what we give ourselves to now. To this path of maturing in all that God has got for us that causes us to root deeply in him, in his truth, but in his love. And therefore, it brings with it a challenge, I think, an invitation. That we are those together who have been crafted for maturity. And the invitation is then again today to say, are we those who want to continue to grow in him, to grow in the truth of the wonder of this one God, this one Lord, this one relationship we get to enjoy together. To grow in the love that Jesus continuously wants to reveal to us in order that we then reveal it to others. And the invitation isn't to say, well, this involves some of us, no, it involves all of us. And saying, let's give ourselves to this. Because as we do, it means we can navigate different places. It means we can listen to many different talks that are online, read many different influences and say, actually, we're going to take the good and leave the bad. But ultimately, it means that we get to do what we were asked to do, which is to enjoy more and more of who Jesus is in order that we become more and more understanding in what it is to be filled with the fullness of who he is, who fills everything in every way. So can I finish this by praying with us? So if you want to close your eyes.
God, I thank you for your call this morning that led us to that point at the end of worship of just saying, actually, all that we are is yours. And Jesus, that is true individually, but we want it to be true corporately for us as well. And Jesus, we say we want to be those that give ourselves to not saying we've made it, but actually to this path and journey of discovering more and more of the wonder of who you are. Jesus, we want to live in the security of the truth that you've placed amongst us in order that we wouldn't be bashed from one side to the other, in order that we'd really be anchored in you. But in that, we want to also be those that then live continuously in the beauty of the love that you've revealed into us, in order that we'd reveal that amongst one another, but also with those that we come into contact with. Jesus, we, we commit ourselves to doing this in order that we'd be everything you want us to be. For your glory, Jesus. Amen.